Hi everyone, Jeanette Marie here with Energy for the Soul and more, and this is Spiritually Speaking. Let's chat! Welcome back to episode two of the Tale of the Two Toms. Enjoy! I know that we're going to be talking a little bit about your first roaster and how that came about, and I'm really excited to hear that tale, but I'd really love to hear about you know, how Hugo's came to play and, and where it's at today and where you're going with it and what you're doing and, you know, where you're at today. Whoa, that's a lot. You're welcome. Okay. My father bought Hugo's fine meats in 1975 or six. My dad's a fifth generation meat cutter. And this butcher shop came up for sale when Hugo died. And he bought from Hugo's wife. And decided just to leave it named Hugo's in his honor because he was very beloved in the community. And my dad, like, just has very little ego at this time after, especially after surviving a war. Um, When he was in France after the war, going to art school, he would see how they shop in France. There's a bread store and there's the pasta shop and there's the fish store and the fruit stand, the vegetable stand. And that's kind of what he envisioned. He was inside a a big, ugly building with an Italian market. They, after a couple of years, moved out. And my dad said, I can do what I've always wanted to do. He started developing it. I started helping with the, the actual construction. And when it opened, the people he had hired to run the place actually turned out to be a little bit afraid of customers. Oh, So I'm like there with my tool belt on. And people are coming in and asking about, what's this? What's that? And it was, uh, I just fell in love with it. In love with the engagement of the people and the food and the interaction of the spirit body of food. Yes, all of that. Yeah. And making, I mean, making people happy. You know, I learned that from my stepfather. Uh, Being in the retail business, I learned how to be a salesperson that was concerned with what you wanted, not what I wanted to sell. Mm. So I think service has always been part of my life. And we just continued to explore and change. And my dad would encourage me to find new things. Like 1980, we probably brought in some of the first extra virgin olive oils. Nice. But we'd have, I'd, I'd find 40 or 50 different kinds. You know, and and I did that with every area of the market. And then my dad decided to retire and um, we got rid of the butcher shop and it just became a restaurant. So I'm (laughs) waking up at 3.30, doing this stuff, praying, meditating, chanting till 6.30 or so. Then going to my other restaurant and roasting coffee for a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. And then all day at work until like 10 o'clock at night. I was pretty crazy. Yeah, you were nonstop. Uh, I was nonstop. But I was also very passionate about my work. Right. Uh, I became a real researcher into food. Yes. And we, you know, at our restaurant, we led the way in many areas. Tell me about that. Well, we were kind of a, my dad was like the butcher shop to very famous restaurants. Right. And the chefs would come in and I talked to the chefs and they would inspire me to want to, you know, like, a guy said, have you ever tried chanterelles? And he brought some for me. And within, you know, a month, I had like a six foot display case filled with like 20 different types of edible <laughs> wild mushrooms. 
you know, we 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 were probably the second restaurant in LA to roast their own coffee. Did not know that. Yeah. I used to go after work <laughs> at 10 o'clock at night, go downtown and use a coffee roaster that somebody said I could use. And I'd roast coffee for a long time. And then I opened my own store for coffee roasting. Which one was your first store? Uh, my own was Cafe Latte on Wilshire and Crescent Heights. So you'd walk in the door and there's a beautiful 12 kilo brass coffee roaster. I remember it. it and nobody black, painted black. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody was doing uh, roasting coffee back then. Mm -hmm. um, every area of the restaurant, like what kind of salt should we use? And I'd try 20, 30 different salts. What kind of pepper? What kind of cinnamon? Because my dad was a butcher, we in the market part, we had a lot of vegetarian stuff. And we had a lot of vegetarians coming in, a lot of people from the Kundalini yoga world, Yogi Bhajan and his followers. And wow. that's what actually got me started through, um, through the restaurant. So it was in the eighties. It was a, it was a very experimental time in the culinary world. And in California, we were right there, you know, the being a restaurant edge. and a market. Yeah. Cutting edge. Cutting edge. Yeah. And same with uh, vegan. Yeah. When some of our staff, you know, we're becoming vegan and, you know, we'd look through what we're doing. We make everything from scratch. And it was real easy to turn a lot of things into vegan mm -hmm. and then gluten-free later on and, you know, not using salt in the kitchen and, mm -hmm. you know. It's a whole progression yeah. of life. That, yeah. And a whole way of life. I remember because, you know, from Topanga, follow your heart. I remember when they used to work out of the van. Do you remember when they used no. to, they used to, yeah, they used to work out of the van and like we'd go and get all our rations and our goodies from them and like just break bread right then and there on the ground because you know I was in hippie communes growing up so there was that but and then in the valley but listen that's a whole nother topic <laughs> but what I want to say is when they got the restaurant right there on Sherman Way in Topanga love that and it was yeah right it was such a groundbreaking thing but we'd always have to truck down the canyon anyways today what does Hugo's offer so the people know I mean most people know but let's be clear. It offers an experience of feeling a little bit better than when you walked in because of the staff. My dad's original idea for the people he wanted to work with was that they should be actors and singers and artists and dancers. And at that time, most restaurants didn't want those people because, you know, they're always having to take time off for this or that. My dad wanted to be surrounded by like-minded people. Wow. Talk about like a forward thinker. Yeah. Exactly. So even today, just recently, I did a tea tasting at both of our locations and almost everybody working for us is an artist of one type or another. I love that. He saw food as a vehicle for being able to create harmony and love in the world. So, yeah, I can honestly speak that anytime I go into Hugo's, which is often BTWA, you know, every you. time, every time I go in, I'm like, I want to like show off and say like, I know Tom, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> little ego like shush girl shush <laughs> but i have to say that it's always a wonderful loving supportive experience you don't see the the servers running around grumpy butt no it's just not a thing there and i love that which is a demonstration of how you manage 
and co-collaborate with the folk, right? With your people, with your team, with your members. And I think that that is extraordinary. I do recall one time being at a spiritual retreat with you. I think it was like 10, 15 years ago, whatever that is. And you did a tea workshop. Yes. And how, I think I actually still have my little tea bowl. Oh. Yeah. And like how you went through how each tea, I'm going to let you take it from here. Each tea comes from the same plant, but migrates differently. Am I botching this? Tea all comes from one camellia. That's what it was. But within camellia, there's hundreds of camellias. There's two, camellia sinensis, which is Chinese, and camellia asamica, which is from India. The only places where tea was indigenous to. Wow. From the same leaf, you can make white tea, black tea, green tea, oolong tea, pu'er teas, which are the five categories. And again, my kind of maniacal mind, I... I wanted to know everything about tea. So for the next 30 years, I'm trying every single tea and really becoming a tea expert. Without question. In this country. We're the first restaurant to ever serve chai outside of an Indian restaurant. Then we called it yogi tea. So when I do an experience, a, a tea tasting with the staff, it, it's a very spiritual experience. Sacred. They all leave just blown away. Loaders. So, and you had that experience at the retreat. Yes. So, tea, coffee, you know, we're probably the first roaster in the United States to have estate grown coffees. Yeah. I had the best coffee broker who's still brokering coffee today. Again, another yeah. testament. And it's important that it not be filled with all the ickies, for lack of better words, right? I, I will say that every time I am at your restaurant, eating, breaking bread, or if I just run in to grab something, I definitely feel the vibrational frequency without question. You just feel lighter. Your belly feels full, but not like bloated. It's really an exquisite deliciousness that you give us. Well, Thank yeah, you. we want to, like when my kids were young, it's like, do I want them eating this? And at most restaurants, it was like, no, in the market, you know, all the prepackaged foods, I know. That was really in mind, wanting to make everything as clean as we could and that everybody could dine together. Yeah. So you can have your carnivore and your vegan and your gluten-free person all sit down together and they don't need to ask what your diet is. And we take care of it. You know, Love we it. know how to make it the way you need it. And it has to be good enough in flavor for everybody to enjoy, not just the celiac. It's really important for us to all sit down together and eat around the world that that's i think where most of the healing happens where the family connections are made friendship connections my roommate was into biodynamic gardening mm, yes so i started getting into biodynamic gardening and taking classes through peers and he was a health food nut and we would drive from cornell california all the way to Hollywood to go to Erwan. Yes. And then the Rudolf Steiner Foundation was also in Hollywood where we would pick up the remedies for gardening. So I learned about Rudolf Steiner very young and that was very important in my life. Later on, uh, when my son was in second grade, mm -hmm. the teacher wanted to put him on attention deficit drugs. Mm. We had him tested at UCLA and everything, and and we thought about it, and we said, no, we're going to pull him out of school. And my wife home taught him 
for the remaining of the year. And then um, the first public Waldorf school is in Milwaukee, where Emily is from. And her mother suggested Waldorf education. And that opened up a whole world of I just watched your body language. Can I just say your whole body language just relaxed when you you said that? It's like that was your solution as well. Just want to identify yeah. to that. And that was a whole what? Did you say that word? It was just a, a whole new branch in my life, in yeah. our life. Um, I remember being on the phone with my wife. And she said, I just heard about this school started by Rudolf Steiner. And I said, I'm in. Because I remember how brilliant biodynamic gardening is. I said, if if they can grow kids like they grow vegetables, We're I'm in. in. We're in, yeah. <laughs> so we yes. got both of our kids in there. And, you know, along with it, the parents were required to participate. Um, hearing lectures and and eurythmy, which is a motion dance kind of exercise. Yes, yes. Um, and working movement in the therapy. garden. They call it movement therapy now. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Natural modality. Yeah. So we're living the Sikh lifestyle at that point. Love you Sikh. know, very, very involved in the Sikh community. And a couple of years later, my, my son, we raised our kids pretty much Sikh. They didn't know anything really about being Jewish, um, their birth religion. And we go to yoga camp in New Mexico every summer. And one time he wanted to go to summer camp with his cousins in, in Wisconsin. And it turned out to be a Jewish camp. And he came back, said, I want to be Jewish. Okay. So we had to find a temple that we would enjoy, mm. you know, with chanting and meditating and yeah. singing and dancing. And we found one. And so then... My wife's in the Jewish world. I'm in the Sikh world. And, you know, it took me about another year before I could do both. Like, I couldn't understand doing two different things at once. But the two are so closely related. Right. Yeah. That was, you know, wonderful experience learning about the both religions at the same time and feeling the connection. It's been a spiritual journey of sorts being in the restaurant. It sounds um, like it's been a spiritual journey, period. Yes. And my wife and I studied yogic healing for many years. And we would practice that in the restaurant. Like sometimes it would, you could feel the restaurant getting out of sorts. Energies come in and, and they kind of hold and grid and do all that jazz. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And so we'd be there like looking at each other and we would just like breathe and accept everything and feel everything and just watch the restaurant calming down yes we brought in a lot of the recipes ayurvedic recipes from from india the world's oldest healing science yes and we do all these things without our guests actually knowing it per se but we knew we knew knew that our food was not just health food but healing foods right not just health food but healing foods and how many restaurants do you have today two restaurants two taco stands did you sell off some of them? We closed one restaurant and one taco stand. Got it. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I'm so forever grateful for that little hub that is quick and easy to come into and delightful to leave because I'll know I'll return. So you, you mentioned your wife and you two have been in a, a beautiful relationship for how many years? In July of 2022, that'll be 40 years of marriage. Wow. Beautiful. <laughs> 
and we met on Thanksgiving in 1980. So again, we're coming bread. up with another anniversary <laughs> at my mom's house. She was a, a surprise guest. She walked in the door and I'm sitting with my sister and I go, that's who I'm going to marry. Just like that. Just you just like that. immediately knew. Immediately. Was it a sensation inside? Your heart opened up? Your mind? You just glowed? What happened? You know, I'm romantical, so I love all those little... <laughs> just a knowing. A knowing. A yeah, just a knowing. Love it. Yeah, and it, it didn't take long to convince her. It didn't or it did? Did not. Did she know that? She had two boyfriends back in Wisconsin. <laughs> two? When they come visit, I, I suggest they stay with me so I could keep an eye on them. <laughs> in the guise of being a nice guy. Oh my gosh, I love that with all of my heart. Yes, very smart man going after what he wants. So we've always been on the spiritual path together and yeah. been each other's teachers. So you would say that she's been a great teacher for you? Yes, because at the end of the day, what you do at home is what counts. You know, where, where you feel comfortable enough to let down your defenses and let some of your darkness or ugliness come out. Yes. Unfortunately, it's at home with the person who loves you the most, because that's where you still feel safest, where yes. I feel safest. Absolutely. To let the beast out. How does she tame your beast? By not kicking me out. Ah. I mean, basically, she could have done that, you know, in my drug days. Right. My family was suggesting it to her, she but she hung in there. Would you say that she's seen your soul and your purpose? Yes. Do you see hers? Not as much. Not That's as honest. Much. Yeah. We were in therapy with uh, a very brilliant woman who's psychologist and also is well known for breath work. Love breath work. We would get so deep into the psyche. And I remember being in there going so deep about my suicidal thoughts. And I was so ashamed to say that in front of my wife. I had kept it a secret. I was just bawling. And I could not look at her for like two or three days. Mm. But then it's like, okay, you have some dark thoughts. I know you're not going to actually commit suicide. You just have suicidal thoughts, which I've come to know is not wanting to end my life, but just to end some of the pain and to have a little peace, like this going home. And the suffering. Yeah, yeah. So when you avoided her for three days, what did she do? How was her interaction? How did she nurture you? Gave me space. Ah. Yeah. I, she let I, you breathe in that. She, she recognized that you needed a moment. Much wiser than me. I was just going to say, so she's a wise keeper. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> a wise woman. And she's had to go through a few of my very, very dark depressions. Right. And not that long ago. I had two of my worst depressions within the last five or six years that lasted so long. I was down to one breath at a time. Literally. Yeah. Having to just chant all day long yeah. to try and get out of it. Yeah. Afraid to go talk to anybody. I felt like when I take my dogs for a walk by myself and people were coming towards me, they would cross the street. They literally crossed the street because I, I felt like I was radiating such a horrible, ugly energy. I, you know, obviously don't know what they were actually doing, but I would see people actually cross the street. Maybe it's because they didn't want to see my dogs. But for me, I was that toxic. Well, I think also you understand energy and what the field can do, right? <sighs> so we know that we can draw people in or we can push them out. And you were probably cognizant of the fact that you had a bubble of darkness around you for whatever your reason to come Phoenix rise, right? As any good Scorpio should. As any good Scorpio should. 
Absolutely. And so what was the moment that you broke free? What had happened? Or maybe nothing happened? Uh, medication. Medication. You got balance. <laughs> yeah. After dealing with depression my whole life, I finally decided to take antidepressants. Good and it changed you. everything. And I can do my inner work now. I can engage with people. And I, I feel how I imagine I've always supposed to have felt. Able to deal with the world. Able to learn and grow and love and feel connected with people. Well, I am just honored to hear that because I think that if there is a solution and that is it, bravo for you for getting after it. Because people in our community who live more holistically, let's be real, we are frowned on a lot for that. And I find yeah. that that is not only against everything that my spiritual practice represents, meaning like how I perceive spiritual as a truth, as an integrity, as a loyalty to self, and your purpose and your mission on the planet. That's my spiritual kind of format. When people come in and impede that with a judgment, I'm just like, ouch for you. And it hurts us, those of us who are secretly and out openly sensitive, right? Possibly a little bit of what I call spiritual arrogance. Ooh. I've encountered a lot of that. I've, yeah. I've been a part of that. Same. Yeah. No, it's not like I haven't, I didn't try anything else for 62 or three years. I tried my whole life fighting depression with everything imaginable. Absolutely. I've been through so many healing modalities. I, I could write an encyclopedia. Give me five. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> or no, please do. Applied Actually. kinesiology, yes. uh, sound therapy, yes. of course, psychological counseling, every herb you can imagine in Breath the world. Work. Breathwork, acupuncture, chiropractor. Yoga. Yeah, yoga, of course. Meditation. Meditation. I mean, we could just really take it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot. It is. One of my favorite guys is uh, Thomas Merton. Okay. He was a uh, monk mm. and just a brilliant writer. Was introduced to me by a general manager at our work. He, he just has so many things that are quotable. Look up Merton's Prayer. It's the most beautiful prayer. I think we're going to do that. If you that. look it up, and what really sealed the deal with me is this quote. Prayer and love are learned in the hour when prayer becomes impossible and the heart has turned to stone. Like, I get that. Wow. I get that. That's hitting bottom, bottom. And I've had that experience where, you know, either through physical pain or emotional pain, where I'm literally down to chanting. Or to one, save my life. Or one breath at a time. Uh, one breath at a time, yeah. And chanting. Caroline is going to now read the prayer. The Merton Prayer from Thoughts in Solitude. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost, and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me. 
and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Well done. Thank you so much, Caroline. That was just stunning. Take a breath. I remember reading his uh, oh. his autobiography, Freeze, uh, Seven Story Mountain, in a Dallas airport coming home from an Ayurvedic retreat and weeping, weeping in the airport, sitting on the ground by watching the planes take off and reading. Powerful yeah. moments. Powerful yeah. moments right there. Yeah, powerful. What, what, a, what a beautiful gift you gave to self in that, that he offered you, right? That insight to who you are yeah. and yet who you are not and yet who you're seeking to be. Yeah. yeah. That so if you don't know Thomas Merton. Well, we will now. <laughs> know this. We will now. Ooh, deep breath in. Yeah. <sighs> so in the last so several years, there have been many instances of leaders, teachers falling off their pedestals and falling off hard. As it should be. Not that I want pain on anybody. But. No. It's happened many times recently of my my people. And it made me question absolutely everything. Everything. Kind of like the John Lennon. I don't believe in that whole list of yes. just Yoko and me. Yeah. Um, love that song. I let everything go. Everything I knew I had to let go. And I question everything from a beginner's eyes. And I go, mm, that sounds like bullshit. Yeah. That sounds like I was in a hypnotic state learning this, that, or the other thing. And I, I kind of landed at this beautiful, I don't know, bottom, spiritual bottom of not knowing this. Mm. So that's been the last couple of years. And at the same time, my, my wife is going very deep into anthroposophy, this uh, Rudolf Steiner wisdom and philosophy. He was a scientist clairvoyant, and he's got hundreds of lectures and books. She's studying him. I can't do it. I tried for like two and a half years. I, it just did not get into my brain. So when she talks about it, I'm just going like bullshit all the time. It's like, how can you say that? And, and and I feel like it's, you know, kind of causing a big divide between us. She thinks I don't believe in anything. When, when your relationship kind of was founded on believing together in everything. Well, believing speaking. in nothing is kind of the other end of believing in everything. Well, it is the beginning yeah. of it. Yeah. We were having big conflicts over that until I think she started seeing a little bit of humor in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. You mm -hmm. know. So now no philosophy, no religion, no leaders. I meditate sometimes. I do a little yoga sometimes. I talk to God all the time. Mm. Uh, I have such a strong belief in kind of like when I was a kid where the universe was an infinite amount of stars. And if you put it all together and looked at it from, you know, light years away, it would look like a grain of sand. Yeah, baby. Today, I can close my eyes and disappear in the same way. Everything becomes dots. Solid matters maybe a little closer than liquid matters. Yes. And that's it. That's, that's where I go. That's what I am. That's how I see everything as being together as oneness, but not going so far to say non-duality or any kind of, I don't know, the lingo, I don't get right. anymore. I don't understand what people are talking about. It makes no sense to me anymore. It no longer serves you. Not that it ever really did. Listening to oh, your I, story. Think it, I think it served me at the right time. Okay. 
you know. I stand corrected and yeah. honor that. Yes. I got to be of service. I got I taught thousands of hours of yoga and meditation and got to impact many people's lives. Right. And I'm, you know, that feels really, really good. Beautiful. And, you know, arrogant. <laughs> Being a teacher is a really tough gig. Trust me, I know. So what I would like to ask you now is what are your hopes? What is what is the future you look like now that you have been just about a year ish in this place of freedom that is creating balance and harmony and understanding of like you were right all along, if you ask me. <laughs> or wrong, I don't know. Or right. Uh, I yeah, retired me. about a year and a half ago. From from Hugo's. So you sold them or you just no. Just retired. I have a really great partner who's taken over. Got it. And I love my life for the most part. I love being an artist and creator and thinker and reader all the time I want. And nature. Nature. Malibu. Do a lot of hiking. (laughs) And the continual process of letting go of everything that's not necessary. I feel like it's a really pure space I'm in. Yeah. Even though I, I, I just don't believe in anything. I have to go through my own process of letting go. I love the fact that you are saying like you have to let it all go. And as you let it all go, you go back to that place where it knows it all. Yeah. And in there and all those other modalities and all those things that did allow you to teach, learn, grow and kind of find yourself and then unwind yourself to find yourself lost, to put, find yourself found. were really the great teachers, but no longer in need of a teacher. That's very true. I don't think we need teachers any longer. Um, We have to go inside and find it ourselves. And 12 steps is what's really come down to the heart of the spirituality for me. Everything I need is right in there. Um, The inner work, the questions, the connecting is perfect for me. I love that. This is... um, Kurt Vonnegut's advice to young children oh, for babies. Come on. Hello, babies. Welcome to Earth. It's hot in the summer and cold in the winter. It's round and wet and crowded. On the outside, babies, you've got a hundred years here. There's only one rule that I know of, babies. God damn it, you've got to be kind. <laughs> That is so, so good. So you had mentioned earlier about, you know, anger being a defense for a long time. And so what I heard you just say also is like the 12-step program has afforded you what? Freedom. Freedom from all the things that would destroy me uh, one by one, looking at it, listening to people, talking to people, reading. It's a perfect program for me. I love that. Yeah. You know, I, I have to say that uh, with an open heart, I'm going to cry. You've always just been this perfect demonstration of love to me. When sometimes the world felt really dark and I wanted to say thank you for coming on and blessing us and allowing us. I'm trying to keep my SHIT together. It's fine. <laughs> and allowing for your vulnerability and your truth not to be met with shame, but rather dignity and clarity. And knowing, knowing that it's okay to do the right thing for what's right for you, your heart, and your life, to make it better and brighter. It is a real testament. Thank you. Thank you. That was very beautiful. So here at Spiritually Speaking, Let's, Let's chat. chat, we ask that um, we can read you a question. Are you available for that? Sure. 
we ask that you give us a number between one. Oh, heck, I can put my glasses on. It's fine. One and 18. 18. It's a high number. Oh, heck. So we've already asked that, though. What was your greatest teacher? I kind of put it in there earlier because I just wrote it this morning. And it felt very meaningful to me in connecting with your energy when I was meditating. So can we pick another between 1 and 17? <laughs> Nine. Nine. It's a wonderful number. That's a good choice. What was the most difficult choice you had to make to fulfill your destiny? Letting go of being right. Wow. It was always so difficult to do that and remarkably easy when I decided to. What was the freedom that came from that? Not having to control everything or think I know how everything ought to be, uh, how people ought to be. You know, everyone should be like me mm. and then the world would be a better place. I mean, that's a hard position to hold. Yeah. So letting go of being right. You know, if you say something that to me sounds absolutely crazy, I don't need to make a point about it. I might be able to ask a question or go, really? <laughs> Right, right. Can you explain that? Right, right. You know, and go deeper into it instead of running away from it. And I feel that's what's given me the decision that's made the biggest impact. That's stunning. It kind of reminds me of um, learning to let people, actually learning to love people right where they are and allow them to be authentically them without my input, which has been like the thing that you've been overcoming right. your whole life. So that you became what they taught you. And now you're like no longer serving you. What a gift. Like 90%. Yeah, it's okay. Right? Staying humble is good. Staying humble is good. Having said that, we're going to wrap it up and give you great blessings. Would you like to say something? Just thank you so much for everything that you've talked to us about today and with us. It's really enlightening and just I relate so much to you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Blessings. Thanks.